Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Matthew chapter 18, we started a series last week called Mouth to Mouth, right? Mouth to Mouth. And the byline of that series is to breathe life into our relationships. That sounds like an honorable goal, isn't it? How many of you want a little life in in your relationships, right? And normally, we talk about relationships, or when we talk about relationships, we talk about relationships with the other. Not our own, right? But with the other, with God, our vertical relationship and our horizontal relationships. In fact, for the last 15 years of life, I love preaching about relationships. It's one of my favorite topics in God's Word. And uh, as I began to pray through, okay, God, what will you have me preach this series? I felt like the Lord really began to lead me to preach today about particularly our relationship within ourselves. So before we have relationship with others, we have relationship with ourselves. And I felt like the Lord just began to lead me in preparation to talk today about the relationship that's inside of ourselves. Now, many of you as church members, as church attenders, you see the adult side of me. But every now and again, I allow the child side out, all right? Today, I'm going to, or I have entitled this message, Breathing Life into the Child, specifically Breathing Life into the inner child, inner child. Now, here's what you need to know. The adult side of me that God has asked to steward our church, you see that all the time. The adult side of me that God has asked to steward people, to counsel people, to steward resources, you see that adult side a lot. And to steward that takes a lot of adulting. Wouldn't you agree? But you also need to know it takes some little boy too. It takes some little boy. And what we want to talk about today is something that's very important to me in our church. And that is learning how to steward your inner child. That is learning how to breathe life into your inner child. Now, when you're not around, this is what I look like. I didn't want to put on my camo pants, although I would always have camo pants. Because as a person who loves to hunt, I like to go outside in the wild. I like to spend time out enjoying God's creation. Lord willing, staring at a deer with very large antlers. Okay, that's the Lord willing. Or a gobbler with a long beard. One and a half inch spurs, 11 inch beard. That's what I preferably enjoy looking at. And I wanted you today to, in a sense, be forced to look at the little boy, Craig, the whole time I preached to you. I thought it would be a whole lot easier for you to not be able to see the adult and to see the boy if I communicate to you in what I love. This is not my bow. This is not even my son's current bow, but this is the first bone collector bow I got. Much like my black bear that I got at eight years of age. And I begin to sling bolts, right? Arrows through deer's chest cavity. Now, if you don't like that, I get it. I won't give you too many more details other than that. I loved hunting. I grew up killing all animals, right? Birds, deer. It was what I lived and breathed. For me, one of my favorite little things that I carry around is my monocular set, which is my rangefinder, right? And so I spend time out in the wilderness, right? And I'm 
check-in. I love to shoot my bow. I love to zero in guns. I love all of that stuff. I spent three mornings this week in Arkansas in the Delta, you know, from 4 a.m. until midday as the snow geese, literally millions, are making their way back up to northern Canada on their migration back north. I love being outside. Some of you, you're adulting me right now. You're like, you look ridiculous, Craig. Like, why in the world are you wearing that? What I've learned is some of you are adulting me right now because you spent a long time protecting your inner child from being hurt because it was hurt so badly. And you still haven't healed from that hurt. So I know when I talk about childhood trauma, when I talk about the difficulties of our upbringing, the adult at first always looks down at a gaping wound in their arm and says, you know what, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm good, I'm not hurting. And then what happens is the closer I get to, in the message to the pain that you specifically feel, you might start to feel, please don't touch it, please don't touch it, please don't touch it, please, please, pass it. don't touch it, don't touch it, don't, 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 don't go there, don't. It. In fact, a couple of people came to me in the earlier gathering and said, I dismissed myself about halfway through the message. I get it, I get it. The pain of childhood trauma, the pain of the difficulty of our upbringing. I can feel that in the room, especially when I preach, right? Here's what I would say to you. If you are adulting me right now, why is he doing that? It might be because you need to hear this message more than anybody else. It might be because you need to confront that reality more than other people need to confront that reality. So I will promise you today that I'm going to be as sensitive as I can possibly be. But I believe that we have to today talk about the little boy, the little girl, on the inside of you. You say, Craig, why? Because it's in Scripture. It's in Scripture. Now let me define just for a moment what we're talking about when we talk about the inner child. When I say inner child, I'm not talking like this is a separate person from you. So we're not talking about schizophrenia. We're not talking about your adult person is one person and your inner child is a different person. What some call the inner child is simply the core of oneself. And Jesus has a preference for it. He wants it to remain childlike until you lay down in a coffin. He wants it to remain childlike. He wants the inner child to remain pure and innocent. In fact, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said we should receive the Holy Spirit like, not adults, like little children. 1 Peter 2 and 2 says like little children we should crave pure spiritual milk. But in many cases, this has been prevented by defects of character from fully developing beyond childishness into childlike maturity. Here's what I've learned in counseling people. You ready? The head wants to live life like a mature adult, but the heart is stuck in painful childhood memories and childish ways and thinks that it can get set free from it. So the head's constantly believing that he's living one life while the heart has caused the life to halt. The fact is that the majority of so-called adults in our land are not truly adults at all. Now listen, we all get older. Anyone with a little luck can do that. But psychologically speaking, that's not adulthood. Listen to me. True adulthood hinges on accepting, acknowledging, and taking responsibility for loving and parenting one's own inner child. To accept it and parent it. For most adults, that never happens. Instead, 
Their inner child has been denied. Their inner child's been neglected. It's been disparaged. It's been abandoned. It's been rejected. We're told by society, grow up. Put childish things aside, right? To become adults, we've been taught that the inner child, representing our childlike capacity for innocence and for wonder and for awe and for joy and for sensitivity and for playfulness, we have been taught that that must be stifled, that must be rejected. And so the inner child comprises and potentiates these positive qualities. But the inner child also holds our accumulated thoughts of hurts and traumas and fears and angers. And quote-unquote grown-ups are convinced they've successfully outgrown and left the child in the emotional baggage. And I would tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. So how do we steward the inner child? How do we breathe life into the inner child? I remember being in youth ministry. I was there for 15 years or so. And I got frustrated on many days. I remember one day being extremely frustrated. And I remember saying, I can't wait for the day when the only people I work with in ministry are adults. So I never have to deal with this silliness ever again. Now, you know God was chuckling. You know God was flat laughing, right? Because, you know what I've learned in now six years of being a lead pastor, pastoring a church, is that 65-year-olds are just 15-year-olds on the inside. And 35-year-olds are 8-year-olds. You say, Craig, prove it to me. Okay, go back and look at all adults over the age of 30. They're their social media feeds during the 2020 pandemic. We are like nine-year-olds fighting. Folks, the, leader, the two options of the leader of the free world don't know how to communicate more than about eight or nine-year-olds. That was our options. We are literally stuck in that sense in ways of childishness. Right? Eleven-year-olds fighting. Now, when I say stewarding your inner child, what I'm not advocating for is giving your inner child whatever they want when they want it. That's bad parenting. Bad parenting gives kids what they want when they want. That's not what I'm telling you today. I'm just advocating that probably the most godly way you and I could live is to steward the adult and the little boy inside me because both matter to God. That I value the adult and the little boy. Now, one of the most misunderstood aspects of the kingdom of heaven is the essential aspect of entering it as a child. What do you mean, Craig? In Matthew chapter 18, if you have a Bible, I'm going to start in verse 1. I read every commentary I could get my hands on. And with Logos, you get about 30-something commentaries. I can't find a theologian that does not say Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 6 are about humility. And be honest with you, I can get behind that. Verse 1, Jesus talks about the pride of the disciples. In verse 3, Jesus addresses the pride, and he says you need to be humble like a child. But I got a problem. In verse 6, Jesus flips the script, and I am convinced that Jesus wasn't talking about humility anymore in verse 6. So if we were to look at verses 1 through 6 as one block of text, I think humility's there, but I think there's something else there. So let's read together, Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. And about that time, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child to him and put the child among them. And then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Now, you all know this by now. When I read scripture, I see pictures. Right? I'm very narrative in that sense. I see pictures. Now, here's what I see. I think the little child Jesus called to him might be a girl. 
least I see a girl. Now, I'm going to tell you a temptation of mine. Because I'm the father of two little girls, precious girls, I have a temptation that every time I see another girl, I see a girl like my girls. So I see Jesus talking to a little girl that's got long ringlets, sky blue eyes like my girls, piercing eyes. That's how I process this. And I imagine Jesus calling the little girl around five, maybe six. And Jesus has the most pure and sweet smile. He says, hey, come here, little sweetie. Come here, come here, come here. Now, some of you flinch when I even say that. No, no, we're talking about a God who is completely pure. And in him, there's no sin at all. Come here, sweetie. And she kind of sheepishly looks at him and doesn't know how to respond and starts making her way to him. And then he's got a beautiful smile at her and then she smiles back. I picture that. Then he makes a statement. I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children. Y'all, we get the repentance part. We got to repent. No one denies that. Jesus puts on the same level of repentance being like a little child. How often do we hear that? As just as important as it is to repent, it is just as important to become like a child. So God says, in other words, Craig, if you want to see and know the way my kingdom works, you can't do so trying to process it like an adult. You have to understand my kingdom from the perspective of a child. And you must enter my kingdom like a child. Now, Jesus doesn't just say this once. Look at Matthew chapter 19, verse 14. Jesus says the exact same thing. He said, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. Jesus says the people of the kingdom are like little children. Hear me, church. Hear me. Next previous slide. The innocence of a child is one of the most sacred and special things on the earth. And it is essential to life in the kingdom of God. To steward or breathe life into the inner child. The innocence of a child. J. Gresham Machen, one of my favorite authors. I have many favorite authors. He's a favorite author. I came across him early on in school because he wrote the Greek book that I had to read for my first Greek class. And J. Gresham Machen said this. He said, the more we know of God, the more unreservedly we will trust Him. The greater our progress in theology, the simpler and more childlike will be our faith. Now, those of you in the room that you're adulting me right now, let me hook you up so you don't wig out, okay? You ready? We are not called to be childish, but we are called to be childlike. Now, listen to me. There is a big, big difference between being childish and being childlike. Being childlike is about innocence and it's about purity of heart. Being childish is about being immature and unrestrained and wild and crazy and no self-restraint. You say, well, did the Bible tell us this? Yes, Paul tells us the difference in both of these. He tells us what it means to be childlike, and he tells us what it means to be childish. Let's read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20. Dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. But be childlike. What? Be innocent. Be childlike as babies when it comes to evil. But be mature in understanding matters of this kind. We are in America allergic to holding two truths at once. 
Everybody thinks you can only have one tree, truth. There is the balance and tension. And so Jesus says, listen, you, 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 we want, I don't want you to be childish in the way that you're unrestrained, but I want you to be childlike in the way that you remain pure. Notice, this is powerful. He says, dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. What are these things? These are theological things. Can I get more specific? This is tongues he's talking about. He's talking about tongues. He says, don't be childish in your understanding about tongues. Don't be childish. He said, actually, be a wise, discerning adult. You need to be a wise adult, he says. But be innocent as babies when it comes to evil. In other words, are you ready? Jesus is saying, remain pure and protect your innocence, but be mature in your understanding on matters of this kind. Church, here is the reason I think this message today matters so much to me personally, and I think it matters so much to this church. One of the values we have as a church, our core value, is to mold the foundation of many generations. We are a house of discipleship. We're a house of bread. Hear me. With that means that we as leaders crave for our students and for our kids to literally maintain their innocence, to maintain their purity of heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know why Jesus said that? Because only the pure in heart want to see God. That's the only ones that desire to see God. Blessed are those to maintain that purity of heart. And one of the highest mandates I believe God has put on my life and put on our church is that this church should be a house of innocence. This church should be a house of purity. A house, and listen, if we're going to be a church that is a house of innocence and a house of discipleship, we have to be a church that is led by innocence. We have to be a church that is led by leaders who have purity of heart. Listen, a house that can literally be a place where people can be innocent. Now hear me, to protect their innocence, but also a place where people who have lost their innocence can regain their innocence. About two summers ago, I was preaching in this church on back-to-school celebration, and God did something in my heart right here in this altar as I was praying for kids, and it spilled over into our our back-to-school celebration out in the parking lot. And that is where God, I don't know how it happened, God birthed in me this, I mean, honestly borderline violence to protect the innocence of the kids he's entrusted to us. To protect the purity of heart of the people that God has placed in our care. God wants us to be a place of innocence. Now hear me. One of the biggest tragedies of my career would be God calling you to this place as your church for a decade and you attend here for 10 years and you leave just as hurt with unresolved trauma in your heart as you were when you got here. The tragedy of my life is that God would bring you to a house of innocence, a house of discipleship. How tragic would it be that you can spend a decade here, 15 years here, and you still leave without regaining your innocence? We're called to be childlike. This is what Jesus says. Now, when we talk about breathing life into your inner child or stewarding your inner child, there is something we must talk about. And it might not be fun for all of us. If we're going to steward the inner child well, we have to talk about childhood trauma. That brings me to point number one. I got a simple message today. I only got two points. If we're going to steward the inner child, if we're going to breathe life into inner child, to steward the little boy in me, to steward the little girl in you, here's number one, we must let hurts be healed. 
We must let hurts be healed. Hear me. Trauma, when we are little, is anything but little. And something I've noticed watching my children now that are 12, 9, and 5 is that when my children were growing up like little, so when they were 2 or 3 or 5, and they would get hurt, they would scrape, scrape their knee out on the basketball court, trip on the curb, they would run to daddy. Daddy, dada, fix it, dada, fix it. My five-year-old's still giving me a dada every now and again. It is awesome. It is awesome. Please don't ever correct any of her speech if you hear anything come out of her mouth, okay? She says, dada, she said it this week, dada, 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 fix it, or mama, make it better. Mama, heal it. Mama, take the pain away. This is how they talk when they were young. When they were little, they got hurt. They talked this way. But let me tell you something, church. I noticed something really interesting. As they've now started to become older, I watch them get hurt, and then they do this weird thing. I go towards them, and the older ones are like, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm good. And I'm like, where did you learn that? Because I don't, I don't demonstrate. I mean, if, if I'm sick or hurting in my family, everybody knows. <laughs> I'm sick or hurting. Ain't nobody in my... It's not, it's not anonymous, okay? They're like, nope, nope, I'm fine. It's almost as if they were hearing a voice that was saying to them in our culture, if you're really strong, don't show your pain. It's almost like somebody was talking to them. If you're really strong, don't, don't show your weakness. And when they, had, they were young, they had absolutely no problem being vulnerable and honest about their pain. But as they got older, it's like someone told them, don't show your pain. Adults don't do that. I wonder how many adults are in our church right now who have gaping wounds in their hearts with blood flowing out every day emotionally and relationally and they're saying, I'm fine, nothing happened. I'm good. Nothing happened. Here's what concerns me. It is not uncommon for trauma, ultimately, that is unresolved to create more trauma until it is resolved. In other words, the people, other people get hurt until I have the courage to deal with my hurts. The people I love take the brunt of what I received. The unresolved trauma becomes inflicting trauma on the people around me. And y'all, it's not just as simple as hurt people, hurt people. I have heard that for decades. Hurt people, hurt people. Wounded people, wound people. Right? I've heard that for decades. It is so much deeper than that. Because listen, if I don't deal with my hurts, it astronomically raises the chances that I'm going to hurt the very people I love the most. So hear me. It's not just a me thing. If it was just you a thing, a you thing, I think you could convince yourself. If, if your unresolved trauma didn't affect anybody else, I think you could honestly convince yourself enough to say, no, nothing wrong with me. No need to deal with it. But you become a parent with unresolved trauma? Hello? Hello, you, you get into a romantic relationship with somebody and you've got unresolved trauma. Hello, if it was just about you and your thing, you could convince yourself, I don't, I, I'm going to shake it off. But if those hurts stay unresolved, hear me, then what happens? They can cause me to hurt the very people I love. Now what I want to do is I want to read to you a list that, that is a bit excruciating. 
But here's the good news. If you're dealing this morning with unresolved trauma, let me give you a definition, by the way, first of all, of unresolved trauma. Can I give you a working definition? Here's unresolved trauma. This is unresolved trauma. Trauma is a traumatic experience which has not yet been allowed to be healed by God. I want to say it again. Unresolved trauma is a traumatic experience that has not yet been allowed to be healed by God. Will you say, what is a traumatic experience? Hear me. An experience becomes traumatic the moment it overwhelms my ability to cope with it. Now hear me. For one person, one person might find an experience to be traumatic and the other person doesn't. Trauma's not about the event. It's about how you cope with the event. And for what one person can cope is not how another person can cope. So, so hear me, this is what makes trauma, trauma. For one person as an eight-year-old, there's one negative comment that has the power to sink your battleship. And another eight-year-old receives hundreds of comments like that, and it's water off his or her back. It doesn't make one weaker or stronger, it makes us human. And we're all different. So an experience becomes traumatic when it overwhelms my ability to cope. So what I want to do today is I want to give you a list of behaviors that if you're struggling with unresolved trauma... And you may not even know it. I want to give you a list of behaviors. Now, let me say something real quick. Trust me. I think you all know me as your pastor well enough. I am not the kind of person who says that every mood swing is a sign of unresolved trauma. Y'all hear me, right? Y'all know I'm not that kind of person. Oh, ups and downs of life. That means you need to be a demon searcher and you need to go out and find every single trauma. I'm not that kind of person. Okay? But I also don't take it lightly because it's hurt. And hurt is hurt. And hurt is really that much more painful when you're a child. Why? Because children don't have the ability to process hurt like adults do. Now here's what's amazing. If you're in this room and dealing with unresolved trauma from your childhood, here's the good news. God is with you. And as an adult, you have some abilities to process and cope. And watch this. Walk with God relationally through this pain and process of healing that you didn't have when you were a child and experienced the trauma. So you have some new skills that you didn't have when you were eight. You have some new uh, competencies now to be able to receive the healing. But you have to let the child deal with it. You have to let the inner child be parented. So I'm going to give you a list of behaviors that when you're struggling with unresolved trauma, these are synonymous. I didn't make these up. I pulled them straight. Okay, I'll put these on our Facebook today. They'll be on our social feeds this week so you can see them. Let me read them to you. Number one anxiety or panic attacks that occur in what would be considered normal situations. Number two, a feeling of shame, an innate feeling that they're, you're bad, you're worthless, you're without importance. Number three, suffer from chronic and ongoing depression. Number four, practice and practicing avoidance of people, places, or things that may be related to the traumatic event. This can also include an avoidance of any place which brings up unpleasant emotions, including the church. Number five, sleeping issues, including trouble going to sleep or trouble staying asleep. Number six, suffering from feelings of detachment or feeling dead inside. This is perhaps the most devastating of all signs because it creates a feeling of loneliness and isolation. You're in a relationship with somebody... Something gets triggered and a wall goes instantly up in your heart. You feel the whole fortress build. You're talking to somebody, something gets triggered, boom, there comes the wall. The moment you feel your inner child, 
then you as an adult disassociate from it. And what happens in that moment, I see it, folks, can I tell you, I see it all the time in people's lives. The moment the inner child gets touched by the adult, the adult disassociates from the inner child, and how in the world can we live the abundant, integrated life that Jesus came to give us when we're living two separate lives? So it's a disassociation. Number seven, a disassociation is a real disconnect in situations and conversations. Number eight, hypervigilance. So this constant feeling of being on guard. Number nine, uncontrollable anger and acting on it. Number 10, unexplained or irrational fears of people, places, or things. Now here's the good news. You ready for the good news? Resolving trauma involves the heart being healed by the Heavenly Father. And it can happen no matter how deep or how strong the hurt is. I've got gospel news for you this morning. You are in the right place if you came with some unresolved trauma. Because it doesn't matter how deep the trauma is. It doesn't matter how painful the hurt is. That God the Father wants to heal the hurt. Here's the problem. Emotional wounds don't just magically heal on their own. They get worse. They get worse. And if you have them, don't listen to that voice that says, you're going to be like this the rest of your life. You're never going to get set free from this. Question, is that how God talks? Does God talk like that? Does a perfect father step into a moment of pain for one of his kids and say, you know what, this is exactly what I wanted for Craig today. I wanted Craig to be hurt, and I want him to stay in his pain. Is that how God talks? God doesn't talk like that. No, God talks like this. It's much more like this. Some of us, we flinch when we even hear Jesus like that. Why? Because we have been the victim of somebody who's not pure and innocent in whom there is no vile or sin like Jesus. Come here. Let me heal that. You want dad to make it better? Yeah, I don't, I don't, know, how to, I don't know how to process it, God. I, 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 I don't know how to, I don't know my left from, well, let's talk about it. Let's go for a walk. You know one of my favorite things about Jesus? I know I'm weird. I get it. He never ran anywhere. That's becoming one of my favorite things about Jesus. He walked everywhere. Literally, he's walking everywhere. You know why? Because the conversation's too important to neglect it. And the last thing I checked, I can't run and talk at the same time. You may be able to. <laughs> so Jesus walked. Why? Because the conversation's too important to neglect. So he says, let's walk together. I think Jesus might be telling some of you here today, let's take a walk this afternoon. You want to walk this week? I think Jesus wants to heal us. Now I know, listen, there is some emotionally difficult stuff to go through. Because when people experience bad childhood trauma, I hear this question a lot. When they've experienced trauma, this is what people say. How can God say he loves me and allow that to happen to me? Or let's take it up a notch. I also hear people say this. How can God love me if he did this to me? 
Now listen to me. I can't break it all down theologically in one moment on this stage. Okay? Maybe if we sit down and talk, we can. But here's what I say to them, and here's what I say to you. I personally believe that God gave man a desire to respond to his love in his love, not like robots. We call it free will. You may stand on the opposite side of me theologically, that's fine. But I believe God gave humans free will. Now here is the downside to free will. Free will has been used by many people to do some terribly atrocious things that hurt God's own prized creation. And I want to tell you today that God didn't do it. We live in a fallen world. God did not do that to you, friend. And I'm so sorry man chose. I, and I mean this with all my heart. I am sorry. I, am, I apologize on behalf of those who can't give you apologies. They should have never done that to you. But listen to me. Don't you create a theology around man's fallen nature. You create a theology about who God is by revealed in Jesus in Scripture. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's where our theology comes. God is perfect, but the world is not. But if you're saying in here today, God, if you love me, how did you let that happen to me? You know what you're really asking? Is God, does God care about my pain? And I want to show you a verse in Matthew chapter 18 that is so powerful. Remember the picture I painted? A child on the knee and Jesus talks about humility. And then Jesus gets really firm, y'all, on verse 6. Now, I want you to hear me. If this is just a conversation about humility, then verse 6 doesn't make sense. Because Jesus goes sideways quick. But I'm convinced that this is not just about humility. That this is a conversation about the innocence of a child. Because the innocence of a child is so sacred to God. Watch how gangsta Jesus gets on a dime right here. Okay, Watch this. I mean, throw your hands up right here, okay? Watch this, Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. But if you cause... If you cause one of these little ones who trust me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the seas. Can I give you my paraphrase of Jesus' words? Let me go back to the picture I painted. I just wonder with how firm Jesus got all of a sudden. I wonder if Jesus, I'm just, just my imagination, if Jesus called the little girl to him and as she approached him, and remember, he's perfect and pure. No sin in him at all. I wonder if he put his finger in the little ringlet of her hair. And when he did, she flinched. Y'all know what it's like to see something. And I wonder if it's the flinch that set Jesus off. And he realized, oh, somebody's done something to this little girl. Because here's my paraphrase of what he said. If anybody causes one of these sweet little children of mine to sin, if you become a stumbling block to them, I'm going to give you a heads up. Everybody listening? Let me give you a quick heads up. If you have to choose between falling into my father's hands in wrath 
and the wrath of Almighty God or having a millstone tied around your neck and jumping into the sea and drowning, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, heads up, you better take the millstone option. That's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18. So I'm going to tell you today, if you've been hurt, if you have experienced childhood trauma, if somebody took advantage of you as a little child, you need to hear this today. Jesus absolutely cares about your hurt. Jesus absolutely is fighting for your innocence. Jesus absolutely cares that somebody did something painful for and to you, especially, especially if you're still hurting as a result of what happened. And here's what I would say. Point number one is not about fixing it. For many, this is not a problem that happened in a day. It came over time. So time will be a play, typically, in God's process for healing that inner child. And if this is you, the enemy convinces people to not tell anyone your story. Don't you tell them your truth. They're not going to love you. Y'all, that's not how God talks. And that's not how God's people should talk. If you have unexperienced trauma and it's unresolved, we want to help you. If you would, a very small group of people, myself, my assistant, Pastor Chad, is going to have access to this email. But I'm going to ask you to take another step. And I'm going to ask you to email dwellingplacemovement at gmail.com. Call the pastoral line. If you feel comfortable talking to a connect group leader, by all means, talk to the connect group leader. You don't have to give us all the details. You can share whatever you want to share. You disclose whatever you want to disclose. But let me tell you something. We want to be present with you and we want to press in with you and we want to help hear God together because we want God's process for healing for your hurting heart. We want that. I'm not saying we'll be able to counsel every one of you, but we'll get you the help that you need. We'll be the entrance and on-ramp to partner with you. If you say, Pastor Craig, emotionally speaking, I'm not enjoying the abundant life that Jesus died to give me. And I'm ready to experience and deal with this and experience the fullness that Jesus died to give me in every area of my life. Email us. My mother didn't do that until 50-something years after the pain. And she walked into her dad's house last year before he died and got in front of his lazy boy and got on her knees in front of her dad and reconciled. Confessed to her dad every bit of pain that he caused for 50 years of alcoholism. Trauma. I'm sorry, babe. I didn't even know I did those things. I know you didn't because you were drunk for 20 straight years. There's healing. And there's hope in Jesus. That brings us to point number two. If I'm going to steward the inner child, this one's, this one's lighter than the first. Listen, I can't, I can't be a healthy adult if I don't take care of the hurts that the little boy has. You can't be a healthy woman if you don't take care of the hurts the little girl has. And if you want to steward the inner child, breathe life into the inner child, number two, we must learn what their favorite things are and give them to them. You must learn what the little child's favorite things are and give them to them. The little girl inside of you has a lot of favorite things. 
She has a favorite dress. She has a favorite color. He has a favorite place. He has a a favorite restaurant. She has a favorite Hallmark movie. He does not. Here's what scares me today as adults. Adults basically have a forget you mentality as it relates to the little boy or little girl. You're an adult now. Act your age. Suck it up, buttercup. You can't have favorites as an adult. Isn't it interesting to me that when we say to other humans, adults, hey, you need anything? What do adults typically say? Oh, I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm fine. I don't need anything. I'm good. What do children say when you ask them that? They do not say, hey, I'm good, I'm fine. They say, I need this, I need this, I need that, I'd like this, I want this, I need this, I need that, right? Adults have a tendency to say, I'm good. Children have a tendency to say, I need. It's as though they don't even know they're not supposed to say that. It's like they don't know that. Here's why, church, God created us with needs. And one of the best things you can do to steward the little child inside of you, the little boy or girl inside of you, is to study the little boy or girl inside of you. To know the little boy and little girl. And then give them what they need. God created the little boy with needs. He created the little girl with needs. So all I'm asking you to do is to go back down memory lane. And to say, what made you smile the most? What made you light up like a Christmas tree? She loved to ride a horse, y'all. That's on her favorite things list. When was the last time the grown woman got on a horse that wasn't on a carousel at the mall? The little boy loves to hunt. When was the last time that he got to be out in the wilderness and see a deer through his binoculars? I think we are so busy adulting that we are literally ruining the little boys and girls inside of us and we're calling it stewardship. We're calling it chivalry. Hear me, listen. There's no such thing as being a healthy adult at the expense of a God-created child. There's no such thing. God created this little boy. And what I want to do is I want to show you someone in Scripture that I think is very successful, personally. I believe was one of the best, very good at as an adult of giving the little boy some of the things the little boy ought to have on his list. He was remarkable at this. You know who it is? King David. You know King David was the one who said in Psalm 139, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, a.k.a. I am seriously high maintenance. I have needs. And the next words out of his mouth, watch this, church. He says, how incredible is your workmanship and how well do I know it. He was in touch. The, uh, the, The man was in touch with the boy. The man didn't disassociate with the boy. He knew God's workmanship in the boy. And he was well aware of God's workmanship in the boy. And I'm going to show you the little boy's favorite things list so you can see that this works. I'm not making this up. This stuff works. First thing the little boy had on his favorite things list. You know the first thing Davy had on his first little things, favorite things list? Being with God. Being with God. It was one of little Davy's absolute favorite hobbies being with God. Look at Proverbs 26 verse 8. The text says in Proverbs chapter 
26, or Psalm verse 26, uh, chapter 26, verse 8. He says, I love your sanctuary, Lord, the place where your glorious presence dwells. Can I put that in a child term? I love, 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 so, 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 love your sanctuary, God, the place where your presence dwells. Y'all, that's how my children speak to me when they latch, literally latch onto my leg like concrete when I come home at the end of a day. They don't say what adults say. You know what adults say? Love you. We remove the I. We don't even say, I love you. Like two men in a pure way don't even say, I love you. I'm so proud of you, one another. But that's not how a child talks. My children will bust through the door from the other room and say, I love, 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 love you, daddy. Man, daddy, I love you, love you, love you. One of the most awesome things about my life right now, I didn't just pull notes from like the last few years. This is just like the last few months. And every time I come back into my office at home, no matter what I've done, I'll get another note. I love you so, so, so much, dad. You are the best. I'll get another note. Daddy, happy Father's Day. I hope you have a good one. And thank you for providing and taking care of us. I love, love, love you. You look at this next next little, thing that I got. Dad, I hope you feel better so we can have a fun day. I love you so, 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 so much. I love you. Dad, you're the best. This is how kids talk. This is how kids talk. That's the way kids communicate to their dad. And David said, I love, 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 love you. Lord, I just I just want to be in your presence. I just want to, I want to tell you how much I want to be with you. I'm so proud of you. And I love you. And I'm so great. I'm so thankful to be your son. And and man, dad, you want to hang out and you want to have some. Oh, don't you talk like that? Adults don't talk like that. Well, well what do you mean adults don't talk? I just, I, I, I just have an obsession. I just, I just want to, I want to be with my dad. This is what the little boy David would say to his God. Psalm 26, verse 8. I love your sanctuary, the Lord, the place where your presence dwells. Now, I want you to get the juxtaposition here. I'm going to give you the conversation between the adult and the little boy. The adult says, hey, bro, don't you show your cards like that. Little boy says, hey, um, can I share with you one of my favorite things? I love being in the sanctuary of God. Like, I love where his presence dwells. Hey, kid, don't, don't talk about your needs. That's weak sauce. Well, I don't. I don't know if it's so much a need as it's just kind of an obsession. I just, I love being in his presence. David in Psalm 26, verse 8, look what he says. I love your sanctuary. Or next one, Psalm 27, verse 4. I'm sorry. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That's how little boys talk. The man says, oh, we don't need anything. We don't have need of anything. The little boy says, well, if you get the chance to talk to God today and he asks you something like, hey, you can ask for one thing. Can you just ask God that I can please just spend forever together in his presence? Pretty, 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 please. I got a question for you. How does the inner discussion between the adult you and the child you go? Do they argue all the time? Who's the sweet one? Who's the understanding one? Who's the better steward? Let me let you in on a little secret. Are you ready? If the adult in you is always winning, the child in you is dying, not just losing. 
He's being extinguished. She's being killed. What else in little David's life was on his favorite list? Well, he loved being with God, but he's got another thing. Hearing from God. That was on his favorite things list. Look at Psalm 28, verse 1. I pray to you, O Lord, my rock, don't turn a deaf ear to me. If you're silent, I might as well give up and die. That's not how adults talk, desperation. No. Adults say, don't you talk like that. You can make it through anything, young man. Nothing will ever kill you. No, I, I think that I need to be honest and, and say, God, if you stop talking to me, I don't want to live anymore because one of the best things about being me is hearing from you. The adult says, well, you better stop talking like that, boy. Child says, I, I don't know how else to talk. It's the truth. This is what I love. I love hearing from God. This is what I need. Hear me. If the child in you has some things that God created you to need that the adult shuts you off from receiving, the adult version of you is never going to be healthy. I'm going to say it again. If the child God created in you has some things that God created you to need are then shut off from the adult version of you, the adult version of you will never be in the health God designed. And the little boy had many, many things that he obsessed over. Not just being with God, but not just hearing from God, but he loved talking about God. That's next on his favorite list. He loved talking about God. Look at the next one. Psalm 9 and verse 14. He says, save me so I can praise you publicly at Jerusalem's gate so I can rejoice that you have rescued me. Here's how an adult talks. Nobody rescues us. We're strong enough. We're fine. We don't need anybody help. You know what the little boy says? God, forget what he's saying. I don't want to hang out with him anymore. I, I, I changed my mind. I don't want to be with him anymore. Can I just say to you, God, would you please rescue me one more time so I can go to the gates of Jerusalem and tell everybody you're the reason I'm still alive? God, would you just, would you just please rescue me right here, Lord, one more time? I, I promise, Lord, I'll go be faithful to tell everybody the only reason I'm me is because of you. Lord, if you'll rescue me again, I'll go out and I will broadcast to the world that I am who I am but by the grace of God. Please hear my heart. I refuse to die this guy. The call on my life is to die this boy. And another one of the calls on my life is to help you die many, many years from now as the little girl. The innocent little boy. Not the intellectual adult. There's nothing wrong with being wise and smart, but we must not kill the little boy or girl in the process we got to breathe life into the inner child. We have to steward the inner child. How about this next one? He didn't just like talking about God and hearing from God and speaking to God, being with God, but you know what else David loved? He loved to give God all the glory. Look at Psalm 18, verse 32. God arms me with the strength. He makes my way perfect. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer. He enabled me to stand on mountain heights. He trains my hands for battle. He strengthens my arm to draw a bow. You, he makes it personal now. You have given me your shield of victory. Your right hand supports me. Your help has made me great. You know what the big boy says? This is a great big boy, little boy conversation. Big boy says, hey, bro, you're the one everybody looks up to, little David. 
And to trust you, you must take credit. Listen, David, when Israel wins, you must make sure people associate you with the reason for victory. So that way they'll trust you. So you, listen, when you get a win, you need to make sure you take all the credit. And the little boy says, that's garbage, adult David. That's absolute garbage. I must tell everyone, the secret to my success is him. He's the one who gives me strength. He's the one who enables me to pull back the bow. He's the one that his right hand supports me. I'm strong not because I'm strong. God's spirit came on me. You don't understand, adult David. I was in the outside in a desert, and the prophet Samuel came by, and I didn't have this power until the prophet Samuel poured the oil on my head. And when the oil came on my head, the spirit of the, the living God came upon me, and he gave me the power to do what I could never do in my own power. I'm strong because he gave me strength. The key to being me is him. The old man says, don't you talk like that. Don't you give anyone else credit. Hear me. One of the ways you know whether the little girl or the little boy is winning is who gets the credit or the glory when you win. Watch this. The adult is winning if you have to take the credit every time. When the little girl can say, hey, I'm not going to be so strong right now in the way you want me to be strong. The reason I ever have strength is because, God, you gave it to me. Then the little boy and the little girl's winning. Because that's how little boys and girls talk in this kingdom. But little David didn't stop there. You know what's next on his favorite heroes list? Favorite things to do? He loved to be around God's heroes. Now when I mean this, I don't mean like God has heroes. I'm talking about like meaning God's heroic kingdom individuals. Look at Psalm 16 verse 3. David says these words. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. Big boy says, you're the hero of your own story, David. You're the hero of this country. You're not allowed to have any other heroes. That's just weak talk. Why don't you just be a hero yourself? Little boy says, I can't, I can't hold this in. I got heroes. I have heroes. Well, okay, all right, I'll submit to that. Well, if you have heroes and you're a warrior, right, which warriors are your heroes? Um, no, no, you, you, you don't understand. My heroes didn't win in battles. My heroes win in life and win in the kingdom. Well, why don't you tell me their names? Can you tell me their names? Who's your heroes? Well, um, um, you, don't, you don't know any of their names because many of my heroes you've never heard of before. Y'all, we have heroes in this church that some of you don't even know about. And little David said, here are my heroes, the godly among us, the godly people. There are people in this church who've been faithful to one another in marriage for 40 years and raised their kids in the fear and admonition of God, and they are the godly heroes. They are the ones that should be on our favorite things list. It's about high time for us in the church to stop praising people who have tons of charisma with no integrity or character to make it to the end. But the true godly heroes are those in our life who are faithful to God's call, who've walked hand in hand with God for 50 years. These are our heroes. And the little boy David loved to be around godly heroes. Now here's my last one. I stole this one from David. The last thing on David's favorite list. David loved being outdoors. He loved it. His favorite things list. Listen to Psalm 19. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Let me ask you a question. How can you know the heavens proclaim the glory of God if you're not consistently out beneath the heavens staring up at them? Let me ask you a question. Day after day, they continue to speak. How do you know that day after day, the heavens continue to speak if you're not day after day being out in the heavens underneath them listening to what is being said? He loved the outdoors. 
Psalm 55, look what David said. I, 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 here, I'm photo, again, my mind. I imagine David's on like a, a, a Tuesday meeting day where he's got meeting after meeting after meeting and his ADD kicks in about the fourth meeting and he starts doodling. And he doodles. Oh, that I had the wings of a dove right now. I'd fly away and be at rest. I'd flee far away and I'd stay in the wilderness where it's quiet. I'd stay in the desert. David gets the inspiration of a dove because the little boy loved the outdoors. Question, where did David learn to write psalms that armies would sing years later? In the outdoors. As a young boy under the heavens. Hear me. There are things God created you to need that if you're not getting them the way God intended for you to receive them, you're not able to do what God created you to do to the fullest of what He desires. And I get it. We convince ourselves as adults that meeting any of our own needs, that's selfishness. Well, that's a lie, y'all. It's called stewardship. Do cars need gas? And you need fuel. And one of the fuels you need is the need God gave you being met. And there is a rhythm God created you to receive these things. It's called the Sabbath. Think about it. God created the Sabbath. He created the seventh day. Craig, if you don't get a Sabbath, you will ultimately be missing out on something I created you to need, and your life is going to suffer as a result. So here's my question. What else do you need? Can I show you a couple pictures? Jesse, you want to come? Show you a couple pictures. As you look at this picture, you can take a guess who it is. Next slide. Miss Gabby. Look at this next picture. Riding a horse. Doing something you love. Who is this? Miss Renee Michael. Next picture. A young boy, God created with needs. Young boy who has loves, a favorite things list. Who is this? It's our brother George Labolita. Next picture. Riding a horse. Spending time doing what they love. Who's this picture? Miss Kayla. Next picture. Look like going to a schoolhouse, right? School uniform. You can tell by the cheeks. Who is this? Stacy Walls. Next picture. Who's the little boy God created? Mr. Henry. Who's the person? Upward soccer, doing what he Mr. Ben. Who's the picture? Miss Priscilla. Who's the picture? God created with needs, intricately and fearfully and wonderfully made. Miss Kendali. You must become like a little child. Who's the picture? Dr. Rich. Who's the picture? That's a dead giveaway. Your worship leader. Who's the picture? Beautiful. Amy, 
Who's the picture? Enjoying Gina Lorenzo. Who's the picture? Mr. Copiano himself. Who's the picture? Florida Marlins. Before they were even in Miami, right? Chandler. Who's the picture? Doing what she loves. Miss Anne Marie. Now still dancing as a clogger. Who's the picture? Arms wide. Innocence, purity, childlike wonder. Mr. King. Who's the picture? Daniela Nixon. Sarah Copiano. Master Chad, boy and his dog, a boy in his wagon. Who's the picture? Doing what she loves. Liz Borshawkin. It's a dead giveaway. Miss Michelle. I could put your picture as a child today. God has been messing me up. He's been messing me up. I want to die the little boy. I want to help you die the little girl. Not the cynical, jaded, pessimistic adult. But the little child. Jesus said, if you want to be my kingdom, you must repent and you must become like a child. good question. If you can't take a picture of it, I get it. I'll put it on our Facebook later this afternoon. I'm going to give you homework this week. The question is this. What do you need every seven days in order to function the way God designed you to function? And I'm going to give you six categories that I want you to answer that. Here's the six categories. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, professionally, financially. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to get out a sheet of paper and I want you to write down six or eight things that you need physically. Whatever needs you have to be at your best physically. Do it for the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. Then go back and pull only two out of each category that are the most important. So you're going to have 12. Two times six, you're going to have 12. And this is how you're going to write it down. Next slide. This is what you're at. Every seven days I need be at my best physically. Every seven days I need to be at my best spiritually. Every seven days I need to be at my best relationally. Every seven days I need to be at my best financially. And then you can begin to take inventory that you're needy by design. God wants to meet those needs. To go back to the time you felt the healthiest in each of those areas. Listen, the enemy convinces us to put this on others. No, no, no. You must communicate your needs. We're not telepathic. 
Well, they didn't know my needs and they abused them. So when I'm now, I should just live in Christ. And people should be able to look at me and know my needs. No, that's hogwash. You got to communicate your needs. You got to communicate what the little girl needs, what the little boy needs. So you can fire on all cylinders. You say, Craig, why does this message mean so much to you? Because I feel like God has whispered to me, Craig, many years from now, through the ups and the downs, the valleys and the hills, you'll know you have succeeded at the calling I gave to you, son, if you're able to die the little boy. And I'm going to do all I can possibly do to not be the big bad adult that you respect and esteem. I, as your pastor, want to be the little boy you want to be like. And I want you, many years from now, to die the little boy, to die the little girl. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.